Hi, I'm Peter Keegan. And I'm Tom Shepherd. And welcome to Ask an Artist, the podcast designed for working artists and makers, people just like us, who are looking for tips and advice, ideas and strategies for not only making, but selling their work too. Covering a range of topics from social media to approaching galleries, interviewing fellow artists and industry experts, Ask an Artist podcast is here to keep you company in the studio and help you on your artistic journey. We don't call it Ask an Artist for nothing. Today, we'll be handing over the whole podcast to you and your artistic quandaries to challenge Peter and I. Thank you to all of you who sent in questions via social media or via our website, which is askanartistpodcast.com. This time we shall discuss what to do with all those unsold paintings, an accusation of copying, and also dealing with galleries. So question one is from Sue via Instagram. She asks, I have just had a successful exhibition during which I sold several works. However, it did make me think, what do I do with all of those unsold paintings? They are new to the public, but not to me, as they were made over the past three years or so, and my work is developing and moving on. I know some people paint over work that hasn't sold. That seems a little bit brutal. Are there any other options I could consider? This is a fantastic question. I'm going to throw it to you first, Peter. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations to Sue for having a successful exhibition and you sold several works. I think, you know, I'm envious of you, Sue. I'd love to have sold uh, lots of works, but very well done. It is a familiar problem that um, I know many artists, particularly that specialise in working in galleries. And I know, Tom, you have work in in many galleries. I have paintings in a couple. But what do you do for those paintings that just don't sell, the ones that sort of linger on and on? And for the paintings that I have had and, and painted over the past... There are always, for me, a few that they just don't make the final sell. They don't make the cut and they do linger and loiter around the studio for years. Fortunately, I find eventually they will find a home, but not necessarily in the kind of showing, exhibiting context. Mm. So, for example, I might have them uh, in an open studio sale and there'll be a collection of of, of pieces with different frames and different uh, themes and genres. But someone will always hopefully eventually find it and, and fall in love with it. I may put it in a sort of reduced sort of area where I'm sort of having a studio sell sale and, and sell them a little bit uh, cheaper. So I, I do share the problem with Sue that there are paintings that are unsold that do loiter around. But I don't think that means that they shouldn't be shown. I mean, mm. clearly for me, they were paintings that I thought they were good. They were good enough to show. I was clearly very proud of them, the best that I could do. Just because I may have moved on a little bit in my style or interest or technique of of, of painting or what have you, I don't think that detracts from the quality or the goodness that those pieces had when I may have painted them. You know, we could be talking five years ago or even longer. Mm. They still have a merit. They still have a, a position in place. I think the question is, is, is how do you deal with them and, and how do you show them? I mean, Tom, as a as an artist that shows in a few galleries, how do you find that works for you with your work as you develop? I think with the galleries, it's actually more natural. Inevitably, the galleries want fresher work and that that hasn't sold comes back to you. You same uh, end up with the same question, what to do with that unsold work. I completely agree, though, Peter, with you saying that most paintings will find their buyer just because you had a specific exhibition set aside for those paintings doesn't mean because they didn't sell they won't sell one example i have is a a fairly decent sized painting i did of flamingos and oils and it every exhibition that i did for about five years it just went in there everyone commented on it and how much they loved it i absolutely loved it i felt like it was a pivotal piece for me but nobody ever bought it and it went on and on and on 
and I don't joke, and this is not the only time this has happened. <laughs> I was, I'd literally just said to someone, ah, oh, I think it's time to paint over that one. No exaggeration. Later that afternoon, someone came in and bought that painting. That is not the first time that someone has said that. So maybe threaten your paintings with painting over them and they might sell. But, but on a serious note, I, it's, it is a real fine balance because partly it's down to space. Like you may not have space to store these huge amounts of paintings. But I also completely agree with Peter when he says that just because maybe your work has evolved and you feel that that is maybe not even up to the level of your current work, it doesn't mean that it doesn't still have merit and that someone will want to buy it. And I think that's really important. The flip side to that is, though, I regularly go through my paintings, my old paintings, and I do have lots of them. I'm painting watercolour mostly, so I've got drawerfuls of them. They don't take up too much space. But I do go through and what I would call cull them every so often. It's taking that time to really look at it and say, truthfully and honestly, is that piece actually subpar? Not just an older piece that is not up to scratch. Actually, you know, would I be doing someone a disservice selling them that based on my current work? Maybe it didn't have a place in an exhibition in the first place or it was relevant then and it's not relevant now. So I, I think not being scared to get rid of old paintings and paint over them, but don't do it as like, a, OK, that didn't sell. If it doesn't sell within three months, I'm going to paint over it. You've got to be a little bit more sensitive to your work and your market and what you're trying to achieve with your paintings, I would say. I agree with you. And I, I do exactly what you do. I do. I call it um, weeding. I you know, weed yeah. through, you know, the, the, the good flowers, the good pieces of work. And, you know, every now and then there's, there's a cheeky flower growing in the wrong place. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. I have a cheeky painting that I was maybe trying something a little different or uh, experimenting. And some of those pictures I would, I would, you know, dispose of, or in some cases I would paint over. I'm not really a big painting over artist, actually. I think I, mm. I prefer a kind of a fresh, clean canvas. Mm. But I think there is something to be said for archiving your work. You know, I, I have pieces that I did at university and in my early stages, and I look at them now and somewhat embarrassed, and I wouldn't really be confident of showing people proudly that this is what one of my first uh, pictures that I did. But I still think it's quite important that I keep it for my own point of view of seeing my artistic development. And Definitely. I'm aware that there's a little bit of a legacy there as well that, you know, hopefully one day that there is I'm producing a body of work. And that body of work is just not a collection of pieces for an exhibition. It is hopefully my lifetime body mm. of work. And I think there's something quite important for that. That doesn't mean you have to keep everything. I think you're no. right. There are some times where pieces were not quite at their best at that stage and they could be filed and or put away or painted over but I still think it's important some of them should be kept now I think your point what you said about storage is really important if you've got the space fantastic and of course if you haven't got the space there is that uh, logistical challenge so I think painting over from that perspective is important I think a quick note for those people that are framing I always give advice that if you are framing pieces for an exhibition that's fantastic it is a big cost I know to ensure that you're not incurring more costs as you go and getting into wastage, working standard sizes. So have two mm. or three maybe uh, size uh, pieces of work that you get framed. And then if that painting or work doesn't sell, you can take that piece out. And of course, you can reuse that frame for another piece. So at least there's an element of recycling going on there. If it's not the actual canvas or board you're painting over, at least you can keep the frame but you never know. There is, as the famous saying says, there is a buyer for every single painting or print or work of art out there. The challenge is just trying to find where that buyer lives. <laughs> Completely agree, Pete. I think it's some great points in there. 
Well, I think that's uh, a good little moment to pause and we're going to brush up on some of our favourite paintbrushes. I'd like to take a moment to talk about a wonderful series of watercolour brushes by Rosemary & Co called the Red Dot Collection. A synthetic collection to perfectly replicate natural sable. These are a real triumph of a brush. A huge amount of thought and effort has gone into making these feel just like the real thing. Definitely a milestone and a groundbreaking brush set. The Red Dot collection of mops comes in a range of sizes and they've quickly become a staple of my go-to brush set for all subjects. A handful of pointed rounds are an excellent addition too, but they come in all shapes, from filberts and flats to sword liners, fans and many more. They hold a great amount of water and pigment with a lovely release and spring, giving the brushes that unmistakable combination of softness with a classic lively sable feel. Everything you could want from a watercolour brush at a very economic price point. All handmade with love and care here in the UK. You can find the full collection and many more on their website rosemaryandco.com where you can also order a free catalogue of all their brushes which ships internationally. And now we've had our brush fix, let's get back to answering some of your arty questions. And our next question is an anonymous one via email. And it reads, I have been accused by who I thought was a good friend of copying her paintings, which I most definitely did not. She is a very well-known artist in the area and is a beautiful artist. I can't see how an artist can have a monopoly on painting a certain subject, for example, flowers or a local landmark. I feel the friendship has most definitely ended and not sure how to move on from here. That's a really sad question and sad situation that has come out. And mm. I suppose we're sort of talking about copying, uh, maybe an element of copyright or certainly plagiarism of an artist's style or technique of way of working. Now, Tom, you're a prolific artist. Have you ever found uh, your situation where you're being copied or experienced a circumstance like this? It's such an interesting question and topic and one that we can speak on a lot about. I think Especially when you teach as well, and I'm sure you've found this, Peter. And also if you just, your work is out there. Like I have seen a lot of paintings on social media that I would say are heavily inspired, if not almost a direct copy of my style. That is very different from someone literally copying an image of yours, which is what we're, we're drifting into copyright, which is a different thing. There's no way I could or would even want to copyright my style and say that nobody else can paint birds, for example, in watercolour and do it with lots of colour and be a bit splashy. How can I possibly, possibly copyright that? And neither would I want to. And I think part of why this is so sad, if I can just give you a little anecdote of someone I knew in the past, an artist, and they had a very specific style of working. And they had an artist that even as a youngster they had absolutely loved their work and they had a very specific style. And you could see that the two were very, very heavily influenced. And then the the person I knew, he got a, an email from the agent of the artist and it was a very accusatory email saying that he was ripping him off, he was copying his work, that he had a monopoly on this way of painting, which he couldn't possibly have done because it was subject and medium-based and the saddest thing of all was it completely destroyed the confidence of this friend of mine. And he actually stopped painting completely and hasn't picked up oh, a brush gosh. since. So this sort of accusation is incredibly serious and should be very, very well founded and very well thought about, not just a throwaway mm. comment to someone. So I think those are a few points 
I would like to make. I mean, I feel really sorry for this person. My advice to this person is that, you know, you know the truth and you know that you have definitely not copied this other artist's uh, work. And I think obviously the fault lies with the artist that is accusing. And I think Mm. clearly there's a little bit of they're not very self-confident or there's a bit of uh, envious uh, quality that there's an artist sort of on their terrain. I think this potentially is problematic for those artists that work in the same area, um, which I think Mm. this sounds quite similar. So um, if you are working with somebody that you know, in this case was a good friend in the same area, I think there's inevitability that you're going to be influenced or inspired by techniques Mm. and practices. But I think that as we've talked before, as an artist, you do have to be aware that if you are good at what you're going to do, naturally you're going to inspire any uh, people to, to do what you're going to be doing or they're going to take something from it. That I think should be seen as a flattering thing, not as an intimidating mm. thing. And I'd also say to the person that's accusing that if you're working in the art world, that you do have to develop a little bit of that thick skin that people mm. will make take some good practices of you. And, and to see that, as Oscar Wilde said, imitation is the best form of flattery and do not see it as a threatening thing. Instead of accusing somebody, you can say, well, look who I've inspired and the way that I paint or the technique I'm painting is is inspiring others if it is painting. So um, it's clearly the fault, I would say, that the person that is accusing as opposed to the person that's being accused on this occasion. Yeah, I would totally agree as well, Pete. And and it's kind of sad for both parties if someone is making that sort of, as I said, very serious accusation that is a reflection of ultimately probably a lack of confidence they have in their own work. If you are an artist who is confident uh, and comfortable in what you're doing and you're kind of evolving your own work, you're not going to worry about someone else copying it or emulating it because you're always a little bit further ahead on the same curve. And uh, I don't know if people may have heard of the Helsinki bus concept which is that all the buses start at the precinct and that's all the different styles and they're all very kind of closely related and then as your own individual art develops you inevitably the buses go off on different routes and they become further and further apart and less recognizable that they started at the same place so it's inevitable that people painting flowers in oils will probably all be inspired by the same sort of artists initially and all of the work will look very similar but everyone has something completely unique to bring to their art and given enough time and freedom without being um, kind of squashed by situations like this their art will develop in a completely different direction and you may be able to trace it back but it's it's just having um understanding like you said there's a broader picture <laughs> excuse mm. the pun at, at play here there's there's like a bigger picture going on there's there's mm. more to think about than just this immediate thing or painting that may seem to be copying someone else's so mm. yeah really tough for, for everyone involved though it's not a fun thing to be accused of it's sad that the friendship has, has ended as this person has said and not quite sure how to move on from here i think if i were in this situation i think it's important that you do reach out and and say look i wasn't copying your work. Um, This is something that I've arrived at. I think if you did feel that you were inspired some way, I think it's important to maybe credit that. Say, yes, Mm. I have taken inspiration. But if you haven't, I think it's very important that you state your case quite transparently and honestly and sort of be the bigger person in this situation. I think that would reflect very good on you. And then if the person that's accused you it's up to them how they take it. If they take it badly, if they want to continue feeling quite sour about the situation, well, that's their problem. I think you've maybe taken the higher ground and you can say quite confidently to others, well, 
I, I, I state my case. I haven't done any copy on this occasion. It's just one of those coincidences in art, uh, and that's to be expected. And I think people would therefore very much back you up and agree that that was the right thing to do. Um, maybe the friendship could be kind of brought back if the person accused can maybe see your perspective and point of view. But if I was in that situation, I think I would just want to state exactly my position as honestly and transparently as possible. We have another really great question, actually. I like this one a lot. This is from Alan via email. He says, I'm a semi-professional printmaker who specializes in printing abstract pieces. Although I am happy with my work and they're shown in a number of galleries, I do feel like I'm stuck producing the same type of work again and again. I have suggested to galleries if they would consider some of my new figurative based work, they wish to focus on my abstract pieces. I feel trapped and dare I say it, a little bit bored of my main work. Whether we're dealing with galleries or not, I think anyone can relate to wanting to push in a different direction that maybe is not what they're already doing. Galleries can be a hindrance to that. I just want to point this out. He also says he's a semi-professional printmaker, so he has to be considerate of how much does he need these galleries. I think that's also an important. I think that's a really good point. I'm going to throw that over to you again, Peter, first. Sorry, we're going to throw, you, throw it at you. I mean, again, very empathetic to, to Alan of feeling slightly kind of stuck in, in a rut or certainly trapped in a specific style. I mean, first of all, there's clearly, there's clearly something working. Alan has a, a clear way of working as an artist. There seems to be a specific style and aesthetic, which is clearly going down well in galleries. I mean, galleries wouldn't uh, insist that he keeps doing that up if there were not mm. buyers for it. So first of all, let's just focus on there is clearly something working and quite successful. However, now we've talked many times, Tom, that we have our body of work, be it animal watercolours or in my case, uh, portrait oils, but we do allow ourselves areas to to grow and develop and not to be completely uh, determined by mm. a specific genre or a specific medium. As creative beings, as artists, we need time. I certainly do time to grow and experiment and try new things. That's part of the joy of being an artist. I would feel incredibly trapped if I was only allowed to do the same thing, the same material, the same colours, the same genre. So I allow myself time in my creative practice to try things to grow and develop and not be completely dictated to by a specific medium. Now, mm. does that mean I show those other pieces? More often than not, no. Sometimes they do. Sometimes there'll be a gallery that sees a new piece. They think, hang on, I'd like to try it. But it's understandable that galleries want to work with what's familiar. They want mm. to work with what works. And I think to, a, to the point of view for the artist and in consideration of the artist, it is quite good for marketing purposes, for your uh, your profile purposes, to have a very strong, significant style mm. and subject matter, which is identifiable to you. That's not necessarily a bad thing to have something that is clearly mm. you as an artist, the way that you work. So it's about, I think, a balance of, of giving yourself space to grow but mm. not stopping that love of clearly something, a part of your art that clearly works. Definitely. I guess that's why I'm interested by the point of him being semi-professional. And even if you're professional, the same thing applies. Like you understand where the gallery is coming from. They need consistency. They need sales. They have overheads. That's fine. Mm. There's not a problem with how the gallery is behaving in any way whatsoever. It's whether that relationship 
still suits you or whether it suits both people like can you find a balance of doing the abstract work and still get excited about it because that's what you're known for that's what's selling even if that gallery doesn't want to work with your figurative work are you still having time to do your figurative work maybe just explore another outlet for that a different gallery there's no harm in that particular approach unless there's some sort of exclusivity involved which is generally not always a good idea anyway and can you find a balance between those two things if you are genuinely really wanting to move away from abstract work quite significantly and focus on figurative work and the gallery that you're working with is not interested, is that a relationship that it may have just run its course and it's time to let it go? Neither of you are doing anything wrong. It's just a relationship that doesn't suit you. That has happened for me various times with galleries where they want a certain type of work. And I say, it's a real jar for me, like to try and create that sort of work because it's not in alignment with what I'm doing. So if Mm. you don't want my new work, then maybe it's time for us to part ways perfectly fine and nicely. That's okay. How dependent on, on that gallery are you? How much do you need the income? All of these little questions. uh, And Mm. these are all fairly simple things to answer ultimately and should guide your decision fairly easily. If I was to give sort of advice, I think there's two ideas that if you do want sort of two ways that you could possibly get out of this. The first one I would say is is addressing this sort of you'd like to move from abstract to figurative. Now, you know, that's a giant leap. There's a possibility that you could merge them slowly. So, of course, we know, you know, there are lots of fabulous abstract artists out there where there are very small hints of figurative elements coming Mm. into it. And there's an element, maybe you see this as as a chance for your style to evolve. So you're taking Mm. pure abstract work and then slowly you're starting to introduce figurative elements to it very, very slowly. So it becomes a natural uh, change. So no longer you are not an abstract artist anymore, that you are growing very, very slowly, maybe over a few years, and you're Mm. introducing small subtle elements where that becomes the new body of work that you are producing so i'd see it as maybe instead of jumping from one ship to another Mm. to two drastic stars and approaches see this as a more slow kind of organic approach where galleries maybe over time and 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 audience and, and people buying your art would start to see this sort of slow change and how your work is developing i'd say maybe the other side and i know a few artists that do is quite well known artists in fact is they sell New work, completely different style under a pseudonym, under a completely different name. You can almost create a new artist, come up with a new personality, a new name, a new altogether characteristic where this artist produces a complete new body of work. Now, the gallery you currently sell at, they may be interested in that, of, of, uh, of representing a brand new, completely made up artist. They are in on the uh, the deal, um, but they may have a very specific style that it wouldn't suit them, but maybe a different gallery would suit and um, working under a completely different name. I know a few artists that do that working under many different names because yeah. they are very creative people and love working in very different ways. So there's a couple of maybe ideas there. If you are prolific and you want to jump shit completely, you could do that, but do it under a different name. Invent a new personality and see yeah. how the art world takes you up there. Yeah, I I love both of those points, Peter. I really love the idea of actually slowly melding the two together, using it as an opportunity to actually evolve your work. I'd not considered that, and that's very cool. And the pseudonym thing is interesting, and I'm not going to tell you any more than this, but it's actually something <laughs> I'm at the beginning of exploring myself, like literally as of two days ago. But I'm not telling you any more than that. Well, there you are, folks. So there you go. I think you're, I think you're spot on. It's a podcast exclusive. Keep your eyes out there for some sleuth Tom Shepherd or not. Not, not that you'll ever be able to know. 
You'll never be able to well, know. Well, on that bombshell, I think if you would like to put any of your arty questions to me or Tom, then, of course, we'd love to hear from you. And you can send us your questions via our social media channels or via our website at askanartistpodcast.com. And yes, of course, we can keep your name anonymous if you'd prefer. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much for all your reviews and ratings, both on our website and on Apple Podcasts. They really do help keep the podcast visible and free for everyone. And finally, you can catch up with everything we've discussed during this episode and, of course, all previous episodes at our dedicated website, askanartistpodcast.com. <laughs>